Welcome back to the WIMP Podcast. This is episode 15, uh, or if you've been tracking with my completely arbitrary use of seasons, this would be episode three of season two. Um, I got a guest today, pretty excited about it. I've been teasing it, and so you're expecting it. And it's been a minute because I've had some health issues in the family and things like that that have delayed us, but I'm excited to get back into the WimpCast studio with uh, my friend Juan. And I'll introduce one here more formally here in a second. But I just wanted to do a quick follow up on uh, last the last episode that I did, which was uh, how long must we sing the song? Those of you who are old like me, maybe catch the U2 reference uh, about uh, from Sunday, Bloody Sunday. But uh, so in that time, so the last episode I talked about um, school violence and, uh, and threats of school violence in the high school that my kids go to. Um, and there have been meetings, community meetings since then, one that was organized by the mayor where the entire community was invited, which is a very productive meeting. I do thank the mayor of East Lansing for doing that, Mayor Bacon, uh, which is a fitting name for an episode on toxic masculinity because bacon and toxic masculinity seem to go hand to hand. Bacon, anyway. Um, and then there was a board meeting which came the following week, just after the weekend, um, which again involved a lot of community discussion. And at both of those meetings, um, it was super cool because they made space for students uh, and faculty, but but I really want to emphasize they made a lot of space for students to talk, which I think is really what they need to do because these are the kids, these are the people that, them and the faculty obviously, but are are in the in the midst of this, that are running that anxiety constantly underneath on a day-to-day basis, just wondering what's coming around the corner. So um, definitely uh, just very proud of the community for giving them that space to talk. Uh, The board meeting uh, was long. It was contentious at times. Um, And, you know, the, um, at the end of the the board meeting, one of the board members uh, called for the resignation of the president, but the president kind of anticipating this, I'm sure, um, you know, I thought kind of um, presciently stepped up and said, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a distraction and I don't want to make friends have to vote their friends out. So I'm just going to go ahead and resign. I thought that was uh, a noble thing to do. And so we're moving forward and there's been a lot of um, positive steps in uh, towards creating a, a safer environment, towards uh, creating more consistent um, expectations uh, and consequences for actions in the high school. Um and so on the whole, I think they've been making good steps. Um, and fortunately, just yesterday, uh, some idiot uh, sent out uh, messages to a number of school districts across the state of Michigan. Um, you know, fortunately or luckily, however you want to look at it, my kid's school got a break uh, on this day. But I've got some friends in the next door school district who it was a uh, an active shooter threat. Um uh, into multiple school districts across the state. And so I don't know, and it wasn't an, it wasn't an active shooter. It was a, it was a threat, right? It's a prank call. Um, but I don't know what, what we're thinking as a society where that somebody has the idea that that's a good idea or that that's funny. Um, you know, I, I hope that person gets found out and gets prosecuted as a terrorist because that's what they're doing. They're fomenting terrorists in the, in the, in the hearts and minds of these kids and, and staff. So, um, so mixed bag follow up on last, uh, the last episode. 
some positive developments in our local school, but unfortunately our society is still showing signs of a, of a deeper sickness that uh, hopefully we can, as a society, wake up to become conscious of and work to root out. So, um, all right, I'm going to take a short break real quick, and then I'm going to come back and introduce uh, my guest this week, and we'll start off this new episode talking about toxic masculinity. Okay, welcome back. I'm here with my friend Juan. Hey, Juan, what's happening? Hey, not much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Juan is uh, a newer friend. We've gotten to know each other over the last eight months or so. He's just my kind of people. It's been good. We've had a lot of chats, deep, deep conversations about all kinds of stuff. But uh, this, this in particular, came up one day when we were over coffee, and I'm like, "This is this is a podcast. Let's get this going." Mm-hmm. I think it's really good. Um, so you know, this podcast, the the theme of it, uh, wimp, right? White man of privilege. Um, there's in that, I would I would argue that in the the notion of the white man of privilege, in the experience of the white man of privilege, there is a, an underlying toxic masculinity. And that toxicity in, in that sense, right, is this notion that because I am a white man, I have an inherent right or privilege, um, which I would consider to be kind of a toxic trait, right? Um, so... Um, so broadly speaking, let's let's just kind of lay that term out and think through it. So how do you how do you articulate toxic masculinity? Like when you hear that or when you think about that, what does that mean for you? I think as it as it pertains to well the 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 podcast, you know, I think our society has this this vision of what gender roles are. And I think that as it, you know, deals with uh the uh, podcast theme, especially, you know, we th- as men, we think that we're, you know, entitled to certain liberties, you know, like we're stronger, we're the head of the household, our opinions matter more. Um, and I think it also manifests itself into like the way that we are in general, like we, we run away from being vulnerable, we throw temper tantrums as opposed to, you know, um, showing that things aren't okay uh we don't yeah it's it's like one thing i learned in, in my speech class where it was like well it's like 2000 long time ago we talked about how men express themselves with anger and women express themselves you know more emotionally and, and i look back at that and i'm like man how could that even be taught in a, in a class but but unfortunately, at the time, like that's how that's how we thought of things, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was 22 years ago. Um, obviously, it's it's really changed uh, for for me. I think that the way that I was raised uh, had a lot of that had a lot of that in it, you know. I think that my my parents, especially my father, he was raised and he wasn't given the tools. He was just doing what he was taught. Um, and I think some of that had to do with the culture uh, that that uh, my, my grandparents were immigrants. So mm-hmm. I think that that part of it had a lot to play that had a lot to do with it. But but yeah, it's 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 especially, you know, eye opening being, you know, middle aged now and, you know, seeing how the world has changed and seeing how the you know younger generations, they they're not as they're not as influenced by it as much, you know, where 
where things are a lot more fluid. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's great because it's, it's taken me years and years to try to, you know, to deal with the ramifications of being raised with that, you know, and, and it's still the thing that I have to like, think about consciously every day. Um, but yeah. Um, so let me ask real quick, why do you, so you brought up the immigrant experience. Why do you, why do you think that that's a part of that puzzle? How do you see that? Cause I, you know, we all, let's be frank, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you're native American, full blooded, mm-hmm. we're all immigrants. Right. Really. But I think that, um, I don't think that you meant it in that way. Right. I think you meant it more in like the, the non-English. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Or well, Western European well, stock immigrant. Te- technically Mexicans, you know, are considered native American. They're just more Southern, but yeah. It's, yeah. It, agreed. But it, but yeah, not to be technical, but yeah, like it, I guess that's what it is, is like this old school culture of, you know, the, kind of you know just an old school way of thinking you know i think uh, yeah it's it's just that like you know the woman sat at home took care of the kids you know my 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 father you know was one of nine kids you know that kind of mentality where the dad went out and worked and my you know, my grandmother took care of the kids that kind of mentality where that gender role um and that kind of hierarchy within the family was just the way it was, you know, you didn't think anything of it, you know? Yeah. No, I think it's interesting though. And the reason I brought that up is because I, I think that that's a, a, a common perception is that, you know, Latino uh, or Mexican, you know, specifically right. immigrants have this more patriarchal type of a, right. of a cultural upbringing, stuff like that. But I don't think that that's limited to, I mean, I'm, right. I'm, I'm white bread baby. Mm-hmm. And like, my mom was, you know, stayed home, took care of the kids. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that my dad was like this, like overbearing macho man by any stretch of imagination or everything like that. But, um, but that same kind of like man's the breadwinner woman stays at home and takes care of the, the domestic duties. You know, that's, that's, a. I don't think that that's limited to any particular immigrant status, but I just think it's interesting that, that that perception kind of is out there. Well, you know, you know I, I think the reason why I kind of identify with it like that is because my my mom is white. So I, I have like these two different families and my grandmother, she she worked all the time. My grandfather worked all the time. So I, I saw a different structure, you know, on, and I guess that's how I would identify. It. But, you know, my grandmother, she didn't speak very good English. So I guess there was this old this I guess it was an old school way of thinking. And since there was like this language barrier and culture barrier with that side of my family, they kind of just stayed in that old way of thinking a lot longer. Whereas my grandparents on my mom's side, you know, they were watching the news, they were staying up to date on stuff, you know, whereas my grandma on my other side, she'd be more like getting her news from the church, you know? So she's not really, paying attention they're not paying attention to how the world is changing around them necessarily sure you okay. know? yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. um i'm just gonna interrupt for a second just because i'm got headphones on and i'm paranoid watch the tapping on the table because it's not i don't know if anybody can hear that like i i get like worried about this like heater over here i don't know if anybody out there can hear it but i get super self-conscious about it so no worries anyway um 
<laughs> this is the magic. This is behind the curtain. Is what doing podcast looks like. Not a big deal. Um. Okay, so when did you like? And I'll answer this too. But when did you become conscious that like certain expressions of masculinity could be or were toxic, right? Like when did that become a thing? Because I think for both of us, and we have talked about this off channel, right? There was just this way of being, a way of understanding ourselves as men in this culture. And then all of a sudden these light bulbs started coming on. And how did that, how did that process play out for you? I, th- I think like in the early two thousands, I, I, I moved, um, I got out of, I got out of this area and kind of moved in Detroit area and I came back here and I, I kind of was just, a, the world had kind of opened up to me a little bit more. And then I kind of, had realized that I'd been raised and don't want to like, I'm not trying to throw my father under the bus, but my father was really scared that I might be homosexual. So at an early age, he was trying to do things that he thought might ensure that I become heterosexual when I grow older. So in the early 2000s, I I, I really was just like, this just isn't, just isn't right. You know, like I was really in, I, you know, really into, you know, equality on all different levels. And that was a huge thing growing up for me and it always is, and it still is, but you know, I really just sought out to be around different people all the time. Like I had, you know, started to grow, you know, my friends that were, you know, more diverse in every aspect, whether or not it be cultural, whether or not it be, you know, sexually, um, you know, I sought those people out because I didn't know, mm-hmm. you know, the world that I was in was, you know, sheltered. I lived in a small town, you know, south of Lansing, and I just wanted to experience things because I is kind of the thing where it's like, I know I don't know this and I want to know more. I don't want to be ignorant, you know, and so I just sought out other people and tried to just learn from other people and other people's experience without trying to talk about things that I don't know, you know. So at that point, you know, it started to dawn on me <laughs> the things that had happened in my early childhood that that it really affected me, you know, and, and ultimately the thing that just happened, it, I, I don't think that, I think we all could agree that none of that stuff would have mattered. I was either going to be heterosexual or homosexual and it had nothing to do with what my father was trying to do, but it just basically warped my perception of what a man is. It over-sexualized me and just created character defects that I still have to deal with, you know? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. What, so, so the flip side of that, right, is there's, you're teasing out something that I think is kind of a really important thread to think about. There's in this, what we're kind of identifying as toxic masculinity, there's a fear, right? And that your your father kind of demonstrated. So there's this fear that that you weren't going to live up to his preconceived notions of what masculinity is. And so what are the things, you know, um, if you don't mind sharing, if you, if you don't want to, then don't worry about it. But like, what kind of things would like he, that were just, were part of you that he's like, that's the kind of a thing that, that brings me fear. Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions that we hard code gender, you know, in terms of just behaviors, things that we're into or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what kind of things do you think were like triggers for him? I think 
Well, I know the the thing that the thing that triggered the whole thing was I was imitating Eddie Murphy's Delirious when I was four years old, and he caught me doing the impersonation when Eddie Murphy was doing a gay Mr. T, and I was doing that impersonation, and he he was that's what triggered him. Interesting, right? And I, and it's and it's funny because. It's a very specific story, mm-hmm. and I got the exact point, and it's and it was a very traumatic experience, you know, yeah. and and especially doing the stuff we do in the program, like unpacking that. I'm, I'm, it's it's very specific, you know. Yeah. And even even later in later on in my life, you know, my my father always was trying to make me tough and be physical with me and stuff like that, and man <laughs> it's just you know yeah i don't think my my story is special at all but you know but it's meaningful right and it's it's something that i think i mean we're learning right and we're sharing and that's that's the whole point of this hopefully i appreciate right. you sharing that yeah, i think that there's a real interesting irony in that in that what eddie murphy was doing in this get was exactly toxic masculinity right right mm-hmm. you were actually demonstrating the very thing that he wanted you to maintain mm-hmm. in that, but he just didn't catch the reference. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's obvious, you know, that he had some insecurity that was there, you know, who knows what somebody had said to him, what his father had said to him or whatever, yeah. you know, so that it, it was there at the surface and that just was something that triggered him obviously. But yeah, but, you know, he was only given the tools that he was raised with too. So not trying to throw him too much out of the No, way. no, no, I get it for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, there's this this saying that I think is really important is that our parents did the best they could with the tools that they had, but it wasn't always what we needed. Right. That's perfect. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh so I think that there's we can learn and re- and recognize that sometimes they made mistakes, but that the intentions were always trying to do with what they knew best with what they had. And sometimes what they had was just flat out broken. Right. And they thought they were protecting us too. Mm -hmm. I think um, for me, uh, I grew up in a, um, a really hard coded kind of evangelical culture. Um, And then I also went to uh, a high school that was like a football factory, you know, uh, like my coach was a Marine and he he was my dad's coach, you know, and then, uh, And that culture, I mean, it was super hyper masculinized. Um, And, you know, there's, there was that, I mean, then there was just the culture of the eighties that we, that we grew up in, you know, and and everything, all of the movies, you know, MTV, like there's just this really misogynistic kind of hyper masculinated um, over-sexualization glorified, like, Right, raise your hand if like you spent hours watching Schwarzenegger and Stallone, and you grew up just thinking guns were fucking awesome. A bunch right? of violence. <laughs> yeah, right. WWF wrestling, like right. all of these things that you know we look at and you just see I- irony. Right, of course, is like uh, that weird three to four year window of hair bands where it's like rock and roll, but they're all dressed like women, which mm. is hilarious. Androgynous. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, man, that would be a really interesting thing to unpack sometime. It's just what happened there. How did that work? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, um, 
there's, you know, there's very much uh, expectations as far as what you're supposed to be as a man, right? And when you put religious coding into that too, right, then you're dealing with like, this is an existential thing. This is like, this isn't just what I think is right for you. This is coming on down from on high and it has that extra weight. And by extra weight, I mean that extra deep layer of fear and anxiety that if you screw it up, right, it's not just you get a slap on the hand or you get grounded for a week, right? It's just like you're in danger of judgment from God, right? And that's that's pretty terrifying. Eternal. Right, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we still see that, I mean, you know, very much so with the way that the church deals with things like homosexuality, um, gender fluidity, even, you know, patriarchy, women's, you know, there's a lot of churches where women aren't allowed to be in leadership, you know, um, that's kind of like, I don't know, there's, there's a, go disagree with me for sure. Right. Because again, it's coming out of the word. And so it's the, it's prescribed from on high. But I would say that there's a, a, just an unconscious layer of toxic masculinity in that, that says that women aren't enough. I mean, I would, I've said last two weeks ago, whatever, when I did the, my spirituality one, that it's, it's cooked into the Adam and Eve story. Let's, let's permanently create gender hierarchy. Everybody's sin for all time is because a woman took a bite out of an apple. Well, no, the man did it too, right? But we make sure to know that the woman went first. And I also think too that people or that underlying notion of like women are more emotional than men. Yeah. And it's, and I, 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 you know, I see men throw temper tantrums way more than women do. I mean, to be quite honest. (laughs) Yeah. Again, right. Irony. Let's just go right back into my religious experience. Right. So you look at Jesus and the dude goes into the temple and starts throwing tables over because he's all pissed that they're in money chambers. Right. His friend Lazarus dies. There's just the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. It's not like Jesus was moderately disturbed. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. But, you know, the notion that it's a, a gen- emotion is a gendered thing, I think, is ridiculous. Right. But uh, let's take a short break and then we'll come back and um, talk about some some examples, uh, so, you know, from our experience and other things that we've learned that kind of have opened this up for us. Okay, in the break... Um, you know, I, we were talking and I was asking, because I just felt like that last segment was had some real power in it. And I was asking Juan, I'm like, you know, do you feel like, you know, comfortable with everything we talked about there? Because you kind of got some, you know, you went to some real vulnerable places there. And, and uh, you know, what were you, what were you, how would you share with that? I, I think that being vulnerable in my journey has been something, has been a huge point of growth, especially in the last year. Uh realizing that there's real power and strength and vulnerability. Uh, so, and also understanding that being vulnerable and sharing my story might, may help somebody. Um, and also the fact that the more and more I can express and be honest about certain things like that, it takes away the power and the shame that it may have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and like I said, I thought that was a really powerful segment. Um, 
So what are some other examples that we can think about and, and talk about from either our personal experience or just learning in the last couple of years um, where we learn to identify toxic masculinity? Um, I'll lead off on this one because I've been pulling you. <laughs> Your turn. Hit it. Um, <clears throat> one thing that my listeners are probably tired of hearing about is this book, Jesus and John Wayne. Um, by Kristen Cobas de May. I mean, I should get some royalties for the amount of times that I've pushed that book. But it's very much a book that looks to try and identify. It really it comes from like how did how did Trump Trump's election happen? How did all of these evangelicals in particular get behind and, and help nom or uh, elect somebody who demonstrates so really clearly toxic masculinity, right? Uh, and and in in ways that seem kind of counter to you know, expectations for, for Christians uh, in terms of morality, lifestyle and things like that. And so the book really kind of goes back and, and shows just how all of this, you know, um, toxic masculinity, both from American culture, military culture, um, but then religious culture all just kind of pushes together and the patriarchy of American culture. I'm about to cough. Hold on a second. Um, how those all kind of come together as a head to kind of create. And that was really just eye-opening for me because a lot of that was my experience growing up in that culture. A lot of people that were dropped in that, like Billy Graham and and, uh, Bill Hybels and some of these other religious leaders um, were part of my upbringing and seeing that and, and being able to be like, oh yeah, okay. So this is where this came from. And this is how these things kind of fed each other and led to this moment, you know, I thought it was really powerful. And just a part of my process of just really freeing myself too from a lot of that, you know, because I've talked about numbers times or numerous times, numbers is not a word, but I, it's my podcast. So, um, how, you know, religion has been something that has been really a mixed bag for me, you know, uh, there's been some positive, but there's been also a lot of trauma and just negative experience from that. Um, and this is part of that. Being able to unpack that and just see like, kind of like, this is the history from which I come from, you know, the lineage and, and to be able to name it and identify it and say like, okay, so that wasn't good. Right. Again, probably best intentions, but when we look at it objectively and historically, not good. You know, um, yeah. How about how about you? What's what's something that kind of comes to mind that's that was besides your personal experience, where kind of an eye opener for you, or something that you see now that you're like, that is something I I might not have identified earlier, but that is clearly. I think just the way the way I express myself now. Uh, at a certain point in my life, I wanted to, I, I started this thing and it was, I, I, I started training MMA probably around 2011 and then until about 2016, which is really perceived to be a masculine thing, but they're women fighters. But it was, it was, it was funny how people would react to me when they knew what I was doing. Now I, I, I took this, took 
took this on to be able to defend myself and defend people that couldn't defend themselves. I didn't get into it so that I could beat people up. I just wanted to have have the ability to not run away from protecting somebody or whatnot. But I, 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 I had this thing where I noticed how people would react to me. Men would start telling me these tough stories and un, unprovoked stories about the situation where they acted tough or they intimidated somebody. And I'm like, why are you act? Why are you telling me the story? Like, yeah. I'm just trying to say hi and how are you doing? <laughs> you know. And so I kind of went into and I always kind of do these overcompensating things where this is when I really started to go out of my way to tell other men that I love them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of like this whole progress of, of me and this growth that I've still been going through even now, six years later, when I started or six to eight years later that I've started doing that, where just being vulnerable, I understood that somehow other men, because of me doing jujitsu and kickboxing and Muay Thai and all that stuff that they thought I was a representation of masculinity. So I took I felt this like I felt this responsibility to show them like, no, this is this is not about beating up people, you know. And so when I think I overcompensated, went out of my way to do certain things like that, hug people, make sure to tell other men that I love them and 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 you know, at times be vulnerable. Like I, like I, like, you know, like tonight, uh, cause it's, I didn't realize it, you know, until I start, I'd always get those situations where people start to tell me how tough they are, or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you know, this, I didn't, you know, realize that those situations would come about. So I don't know whether or not I should have felt the responsibility, but I did. So, I think it just might be my kind of personality to kind of bridge the gap somehow. And hopefully just, just like other people learn from, I learn from other people. Hopefully I can help other people too. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'd say that so much was a responsibility as it was you kind of coming into that consciousness of like, okay, that's, there's, there's something off about this over, you know, overdrive masculinity. Right. And, and how do I counter that? Because this is unnecessary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense. You know, and it, and like I was saying, like, I always had this growing up, I always had this urge to, you know, to, to, to somehow. And I think that's probably another toxic masculine trait where I felt like I had to be a superhero and help people that needed to be protected, you know, and that would be, you know, but I guess I think some of that came because I grew up and, I had a lot of family that were impoverished and I, I dealt with some racism and, and stuff like that, which, you know, I felt like I, I'm going to get grow up and be in a position where I can help the, you know, help and protect. But once again, that's, that's probably a toxic masculinity trait where it's like, why do well, I, why do I have to protect? And, you know, I think there's some nuance there. I think, yes, partially that's, that's true, but I also think that there's uh, there's a difference of experience. And so for example, um, you know, other ways that that happens. I mean, guys do that, right? It's like, uh, I just built this thing. Oh yeah. Well, I just built this thing. Well, I got a big saw. I've got a bigger saw. There's something in that where we're constantly doing that or, you know, reliving the glory days of playing football in high school. I had this big hit, you know, or whatever. Um, that, that there's that constant, like trying one upmanship, 
right. you know, but, um, but I also think, right. When I teach about, um, African-American culture, uh, in my history classes, right. And I talk about particularly like urban culture and we start getting into the nineties hip hop expressions and the things that they're showing there. Right. And I parlay that into gun culture. And it's like, so there's a, there's a big difference between me living in my relatively safe house in East Lansing, where I can leave the door unlocked, feeling like I have to have a gun to protect myself versus these kids that grow up in Compton, right? Or the Bronx, where literally, right? Or even like an immigrant experience where you're dealing with racism uh, or, or legitimate like threats to your family, your personhood, where that there's a, a bit where, well, okay, well, maybe there's a little bit more justification to that. And maybe the toxic, toxic masculinity comes partially from that. But I would say that, you know, context matters a little bit. There's a, that would, that doesn't surprise me as much as guys like that, that grow up like me in white suburbs that feel like they have to have this, you know, protection mindset. Like I have to arm myself uh, and all this. And it's like, against what threat? You know, but it, I would I would say subconsciously, that's not even what it is. Subconsciously, it's that hyper toxic masculine, like, you know, gun culture, fight culture, military culture that we grew up on in the 80s and the 90s right. with all these action heroes. And even now with like the Marvel superheroes and stuff like that. Right. I mean, I'm guilty. I take my kids to all of the Marvel movies because I grew up reading comics and I do like the the moral stories that kind of come out of like spider-man you know with great power comes great responsibility kind of like what you were talking about getting that power and responsibility to take care of yours mm. um but there's still that layer of you know i'm just i'm doing this because it's what i've been trained to do mm. because this is the expression of what male uh experience is supposed to look like in this uh if not just hyper masculinized, hyper even militarized culture that we live in in the United States. And I'll go back to last week, right? I mean, you can't argue that we're not over the edge with militarization when people are taking it upon themselves to go about mass shootings or threaten kids in schools and stuff like that. That's a that's a symptom of of a deeper brokenness that's tied to that which I think is in some way, shape or form connected. Yeah. And I also think too, that there's some, there's a concept that I've been diving into about, we, we think that we're going to lose something like when, when we're being like, for instance, when someone judges us or calls us names or something like that, or attacks our character and they don't really know who we are or we're being slighted or disrespected by somebody like we instinctually feel like we're something's going to getting taken from us like is our, is our dignity being taken or are my perceptions being changed you know when this person really doesn't know who i am or this person's perception of me and at the end of the day who cares mm -hmm. but we have this thing in our culture where we have to fight for that so it's like if we're not getting acceptance from our peers I'm going to go get it by any means necessary. Like I'll show you, you know, even whether or not it's, it's either, if, if it's a destructive thing, you know, whether or not it's, you know, having a chip on your shoulder and being ultra successful because you're still trying to, 
you know, teach those people in high school that chastised you that you're going to be successful in spite of what they said about you. Mm -hmm. You know, these concepts, it's, it's being in the program, trying to dive into that higher level of consciousness of really just coming down to being honest with yourself and being a good person and doing the next right thing. And not, and if, and if I know that I can do that and when I don't do that, you know, making amends about it, you know, uh, taking that, taking that daily inventory to do the right thing. At the end of the day, what really matters is how you think of yourself. And as long as you're not doing people wrong and hurting people as a result of, you know, whatever you might be doing, what does it really matter? We're not losing anything. So I guess like, I guess that it, that concept of losing something and then the way we react to it is toxic. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm going to show you, or I'm going to get physical with you, or I'm going to hurt you or you, you, you just somehow, you know, be spiteful to hurt somebody else. Like you're, you're giving me pain. So I'm going to give you pain in some other way, you know, or I'll, 25 years later, I'll show you how successful I am at the, the reunion. It's just silly. You know? Yeah. There's a, um, and you, you probably were tipped off to this at some point in the program. I know a lot of people were, but there's this book called the four agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, if you have, you got to pick that up. It's amazing. It's short. Um, dude's just full on wisdom, shaman, awesomeness. Um, but anyway, so the four agreements about basically doing what you said, as far as like handling those kinds of attitudes towards you differently is number one, be impeccable with your word. So you just show up and you tell your truth and you live in your truth. And as long as you're doing that, that's your responsibility. You're just not going to like pretend to be something I'm not, I'm not going to make up stories. I'm not going to lie. It's just, here's my truth. Here's, here's what it is. Be impeccable with your word. Don't make assumptions about what other people are thinking about you. Right. Because that's all that that is. You can't get into somebody else's mind. How many times do we create narratives in our mind about that guy's totally thinking about that? And then you start getting the puff up. Right. Right. Because you're just imagining that somebody's looking at you wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. The other one, don't take things personally. So just like what you said, somebody can say something. Well, that's their experience. That's their truth. It has nothing to do with you. The only reason that has anything to do with you is when you decide to take that agreement on about yourself and say, that person is saying this. And then you say, they're saying this about me and it has meaning. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to let that affect me. Yeah. Right. You're allowing it to have meaning. Right. And then the last one is just always do your best, man. Like, be impeccable with your word. Don't make assumptions. Don't think things personally and just do your best. And it's everything. What you just said, just was in a book by somebody else. Yeah. So you're already living it. Right. It's paraphrased better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, it, and, and I think what you were saying about um, not making it, not taking things personally. I, I've been really diving into that concept in the last week or two about that self-centeredness and not making everything about you. I think, toxic masculinity and and we can as men think that we're the center of the universe sometimes where we're just like we're entitled like this i'm a man this is what i'm gonna get if not i'm gonna take it you know and and we end up being really emotional and really hurt all the time really spiteful really angry all the time always on the defensive um i have i have friends that you know 
the other day, he, a friend of mine was just like, I'm defensive. And he's just like, he's, he's, he's dug in on it, you know, and, and he's my age. So, you know, it's, it's, it's real, you know, and, and, and even though he can identify it, he's dug in on it. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, there's a lot of people out there like that, you know, my father too. I mean, I had the conversation with him about, you know, my son, my son spends a lot of, spends a lot of time with his uh, grandmother and, and my ex-wife and, and they wear dresses and, you know, he, he, he dug in on, you know, how, how you make sure your son is not going to be homosexual. Like, and I'm, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, you, you can't think the way you acted was, was, was proper, <laughs> but, but sure enough, you know, 40 some odd years later, you're still dug in on it. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's the only one suffering, you know, living that, living that life, you know, he, you know, he, he expresses his, he thinks that, you know, getting physical with somebody is the way you deal with disagreements still. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, you're caught in that prison, you know, that mental prison. Uh, but, you know, we can't, we can only do the best we can. Uh, and, you know, talking about this kind of stuff and getting this kind of growth is, is super important. And, the utmost important now that I have a child, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's me having a child later in life. I think it is a luxury because hopefully I, I've learned a lot more and I haven't been able, and I, and I won't pass on, you know, some of the silliness that, that I was raised with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, my brother-in-law, said uh, something really wise to me once. And he says, you know, everybody thinks that they're the main character of life. Right. And I, I thought of that because you're talking about how. No, that's you know, exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah. And, uh, and when you are a man in a patriarchal society, that comes with an even more sense of, uh, you know, um, entitlement right. uh, and offense taken when the story that is your story isn't playing out in the way that you think it's supposed to play out. And you're like, but this is my, I, this is my story. I'm the main character of this story and I'm the man mm-hmm. of the house or the whatever, you know? And so I think there's a lot of that, what you're talking about really kind of fits that. Right. And I think, and I think it also goes into with the podcast, you know, the, the <clears throat> whole concept of, you know, white privilege and trying to, to preserve that, you know, like it's even, even more, you know, embedded in males, you know, and even, even doesn't, you don't necessarily have to, to be white to, to feel that, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. All right. Let's uh, take one more break and then we'll come back and, and start wrapping this up a little bit. Okay, we're back for one last segment with my boy Juan over here. So we want to spend some time talking about and thinking through what does healthy masculinity look like, right? So we we kind of walk through that toxicity and different expressions of it, different ways that we learned it, right? So what do we think 21st century new man bringing healing to the world instead of domination, what does that look like? For me... One of the one of the huge things that I had to do was get rid of the over sexualization that I would that I that I would uh, kind of incorporate in everything, 
you know, like I had to work out to attract women. I had to be tough to attract women or my value that I, that I put on myself was how, who I was with. I think, I think taking away that power from, from that way of thinking has been huge for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I th and it's, and it just treat situations so much differently. I don't, I don't feel like I have to dominate. I used to have this like theory on, on men and their masculinity and always trying to either dominate in some way. Like they either were trying to be the tough guy and be the toughest guy in the room, the most attractive guy in the room or the richest guy in the room. And it's kind of going back to us thinking that we're the center of our, our own story. We're mm -hmm. the, we're the main character. And the one thing that I've realized in, in my growth is it's not all about me mm -hmm. and it's okay. It's okay to let people talk. It's okay to let people have the limelight. I'm not going to be the best at everything. I'm probably not going to be the best at most things. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that, you know, and at the end of the day, this we're here to connect with people. I mean, you know, we, we, all the prestige and all the money and all those things, what was what, what it really going to matter? I mean, think about COVID and all the isolation and how important it was for us to be around each other. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, getting rid of that overly, over, overly sexualized underlying thinking really helped me uh, because then I, it allowed me to think of, of myself in a different way and me to think of the opposite sex in a different way is more equal. And to be quite honest, you know, I, I think that the opposite sex is superior in a lot of ways to us because we're still dealing with the toxic masculinity that makes us so silly mm -hmm. a lot of times. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny to think how I, I used to express myself in all those toxic ways. And I'm not saying that they don't creep back in. Um, but I mean, I, I would throw temper tantrums. I'd lose the keys and I'd cuss and I'd throw things, you know, or I'd spill something, get so angry just over the silliest things. But I thought I was being tough. Mm -hmm. And really, what was I gaining out of that? Yeah. <laughs> and not realizing that I looked really silly. And and not and and just being able to have a conversation with somebody and not having to think of is this gonna go somewhere relationship wise? I can just have just being able to have conversations and taking away, you know, all the, uh, without having not having to be dominant. I should say in one of those ways, you know, mm -hmm. physically dominant sexually or or financially I, like i don't have to or prestige or whatever whether or not it's hot you know yeah if i held power over somebody if i was their boss or i held a higher you know uh, higher position but you know those things really helped me and and but the underlying thing out of all that to get that all is it's just not all about me yeah. and, and just shutting up a lot of times <laughs> you know and listening mm -hmm. i think that helps me out a ton yeah, I really resonate with what you're saying. I mean, that, that goes so like, you know, two episodes ago, episodes ago when I was talking about, you know, my concept of spirituality, it's about connection. It's about community. And I think that that right. So it makes sense that like as we are getting beyond this toxic, toxic masculinity, as we're growing spiritually, we're getting the sense that, no, it's not about me. 
It's not about my dominance over somebody else, right? It's about connection and, right. and the ability to do that. And, right. um, and that, yeah, that the over-sexualization of the opposite sex, right? And um, that kind of objectifying of women, right. right? You can't connect with something that you're objectifying, right? right? It becomes a thing, mm-hmm. not a, a being that you can connect with a goal. in meaningful ways, yeah. you know? And um, yeah, I think that that's really, and one of the ways that I've kind of been working to train myself away from that, right? is by incorporating women's voices into my consumption. You know, I mean, uh, I'm a guy that listens to a lot of rock music that is a big sports fan. You know, a lot of these like very gender, you know, convenient kind of categorizations or whatever. Um, and so I, you know, I don't, I've been trying to listen to more female voices musically. Um, I listen to podcasts now where, you know, I'll listen to like Glennon Doyle or uh, for a while, I listen to this uh, Sheila Gregoire woman that my wife was listening to on podcasts. Um, uh, yeah, just just trying to incorporate these female voices where they have things like like just as silly as this sounds. Right. Just humbling myself to be like, I have something to learn from you. Right. And it's it's. You know, I mean, I learn from my wife all the time. If you listen to the show, I can't, you, you've heard me mention like half of the yeah, shit I that I learned <laughs> or I bring here. It comes from a conversation from her. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, one, one of the ways to do that is by prioritizing or elevating those voices uh, in our daily career. Because then as you're feeding this main character, right, and, and how he thinks and feels or whatever, you know, I mean, because I think with because we have egos, there's a bit of that's built into the system. Right. But if you're filling that with a little bit of these other voices, right, you can kind of like bring equilibrium. No, exactly. I, I I've been doing the same thing with with my content that I watch. Yeah, I've, I've been watching. I even watch like Pretty Little Liars and stuff. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but the, but you know. That's the great thing, though, is that there is such diverse. Try not to tap on the desk. That's all right. (laughs) But, you know, there is diverse content now, you know, and and it's just like you were you referred to it earlier about the 80s. And and I was just kind of flashing back because it was a lifetime ago. But but wow. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like the violence, you know, the misogyny. Oh. I mean, even when I hear like, even when I hear early 2000 uh, lyrics, it's just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and at the core of everything, whether or not you're male, female, whatever uh, culture you're from, we're all way more alike than we are different. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, we tend to magnify the differences and it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's interesting. A guy that I mentioned to you before we started the podcast, but Rob Bell, in one of his podcasts, he talks about how, you know, we we, we, uh, we like to particularize everything or, or create dualities like men, women, but every every particular individual thing is a part of a larger whole, right? Everything, mm-hmm. infinitive, right? right? So men, women, human beings, right? Like tree rock natural aspects of the planet i mean i'm it's really basic and i'm slaughtering no, I get a really saying. great point that he was making <laughs> but everything is 
a part of a larger whole, right? And I think you're absolutely right. The, the sooner that we can kind of start to embrace this notion that we are much more alike than we are different at the really root levels that matter, right? The things that are right. permanent rather than the things that are transitory. Right, right. Um, yeah, I think that's a... Well, and, and obviously, I think in recent politics, I mean, that's a perfect example. You know, we might disagree on one thing, but we agree on, you know, another, most other things, you know, mm -hmm. but not to dive down that rabbit hole. But. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the toxic man is all about making himself distinct from superior to the other, right? And so if we're mm -hmm. going to be a more holistic, more healing, more well-rounded man, right? Then it's going to be that decentering of the self, right? Mm -hmm. And becoming, embracing the whole rather than well, distinguishing and it, myself. And I, and I think when you were talking about the election, I think that's a perfect example of, you know, like we have to, we have to preserve this thing and, of, of, you know, like white privilege, you know, like, and, you know, do it at any cost. And, 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 and what are, what is wrong with growth and what is wrong with inclusion? And, and you know, what are you going to really lose? You know, like I, well, I mean, that's interesting. And I'm going to jump in because that's, I, I literally just talked to my class about that mm -hmm. today. Um, we're, cause we're talking about the progressive era and right. how it's hard. You know, you have all of these different things that people were fighting for and building coalitions, but at some point, right. The people who are, in power, the people who are in the majority, there's a level of comfort that they have with their existence, with their state of being, that if they go too far, they lose something in that trade-off. Or right? too fast. So if I bring in, right, in the progressive era, if I'm if I'm in these one of these middle-class women's movements, temperance movements, suffrage movement, and I'm not going to bring in the African-American women, then I'm cutting down part of that which makes me special, right? Mm which is ludicrous, but I mean, you get the general idea, right? right? It's like right. anytime you're going to bring this in, you're, or if I'm a, uh, a lower class working uh, class guy and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bring in an immigrant who is also fighting the, the more like rich, you know, capitalists. Right. right? And we're going to try and if I do that, well, I'm also risking then that we're giving up some of our jobs. At least that's how the mindset right. of it is, right? Because right. I'm gonna I'm gonna lose something by bringing this in, right? Which is a fallacy, really, right? But I mean, that's part of that self protective, right? I have something to lose if I share, right? Well, and and, and I think you know it's this concept too. I, I feel that when everybody is is in a better position, we all win, kind of thing. But it's it's also that long long game thing, you mm -hmm. know. We're in such a, you know, especially politics, you know, we're in tomorrow, today, you know, we need results right away so that I can show that something is happening. And, and having these long game, these long game concepts, you can't really sell <laughs> and they're not going to, they're not going to work because, you know, when we were all doing well, you know, I was listening to the concept of like Andrew Yang was talking about how when you bring up the pop, when you bring up the lowest income and you make sure everybody has their basic needs where you can, you can pay for housing and food and having those all across the board, you know, taken care of, like, it just improves everything, the crime, mm -hmm. you know, obviously like, I mean, it's obvious that 
crime in most cases are, you know, you know, derived from being impoverished. You Comes know? from desperation. Right. In desperate exactly. Desperations. You know, in desperation, you know, where where you lose value in of of, you know, like for lack of a better term, you're like, F it, you know, like what do I have to lose? You know, because this is this is hard already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. This has been really good. What are any other any other last final thoughts as far as how we can contribute towards a healthier masculinity? Um, I mean, I think that I had this conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago about vulnerable, being vulnerable. You know, vulnerable is is a huge thing. I think that you know, as men, we were in our generation, we were taught, you know, like you didn't show that you were fearful. You know, what is that story of, I, my, I had never seen my dad cry, mm, yeah. you know, that mm-hmm. kind of story, you know, right. and boys don't cry. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that being vulnerable, you know, the irony of the whole thing is vulnerable is being vulnerable is powerful. I feel it's mm-hmm. strength, you know, like kind of like what we were talking about this stuff is like, you know, the things that I was shameful about, you know, I, every time I can, I can talk about them openly. I think, I feel that I take away power from those things. And well, you're just taking away fear. Yeah. You're eliminating the power of fear. Right. And like, so, I'm not afraid to just give you this. Right. right. And I'm taking away, I'm, I'm getting my power back. I feel, I don't know. I don't even think it's necessarily power, but I just feel that I'm, I'm not, uh, full of shame and fear, like you were saying, and and manifesting insecurities and having to overcompensate and all those other things. But yeah, being vulnerable is very powerful. Yeah. I was was thinking the same thing. And uh, so I don't really have anything to add. (laughs) I mean, I really think that that's where it's at. Vulnerability is super important. Right. Um, Hey man, this has been fantastic. I'm really glad that we were able to finally get this together. No, for sure, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Juan, thanks very much. Everybody, thanks for listening. If you uh, have any comments, concerns about the podcast, you can reach us at wimp.podcast at gmail.com. Find us on various social media outlets. Uh, Next week, I don't really know which way I'm going yet. So uh, it'll be a surprise. But have a great week, everybody. Thanks. Sleep.